This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, have you been grocery shopping already? Because Thursday is the day, isn't it? Now, let's face it. You've watched the Hallmark movies. You've seen what supposedly Thanksgiving is supposed to look like. And maybe you've already bought your turkey, your ham, whatever you're going to have. Maybe you've sat and you're one of those people that plans the menu, you know, because why? Why do you do all that? Because you want it to be what? Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. And you go to great lengths because you're going to make the best turkey that your family's going to go home and brag about for the next six months. And you're all excited about that. Because Thursday's coming. But heaven forbid that you burn the turkey. Heaven forbid that the corn pudding doesn't turn out right. Heaven forbid you can't get your favorite football game on TV. And then Thanksgiving is what? Ruined. It's just ruined. Or maybe Uncle Buck comes and decides to have a political conversation. Or Aunt Sally wants to talk about what her church is doing better than ours. Or maybe that insufferable cousin is just going to be there because you can't help but invite him. And Thanksgiving is ruined. It's all ruined. And that's sad, isn't it? Because the whole idea of Thanksgiving is to give thanks. But we have built it up so much. We have put so much expectation into this holiday that if it doesn't go exactly perfect, we get upset. And suddenly we are angry and hurt rather than thankful. And that's how expectations are. When we pile expectations into a person, a place, or a thing, and they don't come true, the expectations don't match the reality, we get bummed. I had expectations last Sunday. I expected to be here. I was getting ready, getting dressed. I was planning to preach this sermon last week. But my wife and daughter made other plans. We had a visit from the flu bug, the stomach flu bug. Or as I like to call it, the gleep. Okay, it's not a medical term, I know. We ended up at the hospital and everybody's fine now. But that was not how I expected my Sunday to be. I was bummed. I was, yes, worried about my daughter, worried about my wife, but I was bummed that I wasn't here with you. And see, my problem was I expected last Sunday to be like any other Sunday. Problem-free, worry-free, just come and preach the Word. It's funny how expectations are. It's funny how things fall apart. I am praising the Lord that West Concord has wonderful men. We have two other Mikes that pulled it through. Mike Brooks pulled it all together, and Mike Davis got up here, and bless God, he preached, did he not? Thank you, brothers. Appreciate your faithfulness. I got to watch that sermon Monday morning, and I thought, man, he did a good job. And I'm glad that when Aaron and I are gone, Mike Brooks is going to take it and run with it and did a great job with that as well. I learned something else from that experience. 
that if I want to, I can wear a Hawaiian shirt and blue jeans on Sunday morning and preach. <laughs> you never know. Might happen one day. But we've been talking about the expectation gap, how oftentimes life does not turn out the way we expect it to. That we set up all of our expectations. This is how we want it to be. This is how it's going to be. And I don't know about you, but I have experienced that it doesn't usually turn out the way I want it to or expect it to. And so when that happens, many people get disillusioned. Disillusioned. As a matter of fact, I think we are living in a sort of a disillusioned generation. Because all the things that we were told to expect, all the things that we hoped would happen, just haven't happened the way we hoped they would. For all generations, not just for the younger, but for the middle-aged and the older generations, the world is not what we want it to be. Not just on a grand scale, but oftentimes on a personal scale. And when it doesn't work out, we get disillusioned. We're going to talk about disillusionment today. We're going to see how even in Scripture there was disillusionment. What is dis disillusionment? Well, let's look at the definition. It literally means feeling of being disappointed and unhappy because of discovering the truth about something or someone that you liked or respected. Disappointment. Unhappy because that person let you down. You put so much hope into them and they, they let you down. They didn't act the way you thought they should have acted. They didn't do what you thought they should have done. Or that event that you planned like a holiday or a gathering. It didn't go the way you wanted it to go. So you get disillusioned. And yes, many people are disillusioned with the world, disillusioned with life. This is not what I was told, I was told it was going to be. This is not what my parents and grandparents said it was going to be. This is not what my children said it was going to be. We get disillusioned, discouraged, unhappy. And it's a bad place. It's a tough place. Because it feels like our world is crumbling around us. Everything that we put our hope in has failed us. And when things that you put your hope in fail you, what happens? You get hopeless. <laughs> disillusioned. Nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to be there. So we chase experience after experience, celebrity after celebrity, hope after hope. And while we live under the sun, as we mentioned two weeks ago, we're constantly being disappointed and let down. And it's tough. But the reality is, even though it's tough, heartbreaking, and painful, if you're going to live life the way God intended us to live it, now listen to me very carefully, disillusion is necessary. What? Disillusion is tough, it's difficult, but truthfully, disillusion is actually necessary in order to live life the way God intended us to live it. Oswald Chambers, the great preacher, the author of the wonderful devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, had this to say about disillusion. He said, refusing to be disillusioned is the cause of much of the suffering of human life. Did you hear that? 
Read it again. It's on the screen. Refusing to be disillusioned. I don't want to be disillusioned. I don't want to be let down. I don't want my world to crumble. Listen, when we refuse that, according to Chambers, and I agree with him, this is much of the cause of the suffering in our lives. So disillusion, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's painful. Our hearts are broken. Our hopes are dashed. But understand, disillusion is necessary. Because more often than not, our, mis our expectations are misplaced. Our expectations are unreasonable. We tend to look at people and elevate them on too high a pedestal. We expect organizations and people to perform in ways that they never can and never should. We expect our family members, our friends, our spouses, our children, our parents to be perfect and to live the way we expect them to live and they let us down. Did you get married? Well, you expected your marriage to, to always be perfect and you to look mooningly over the breakfast table at each other every morning until she comes out with her hair in curlers and all messed up and you come out in your dirty, stinking, torn T-shirt. The first thing that goes through your mind is, what have I done? When your kids aren't the greatest, most famous doctor, scientist, lawyer, or when your parents struggle to meet the promises they've made, we get disillusioned. But it's not a bad thing because more often than not, our expectations are misplaced or too highly placed. So this morning we're going to talk about moving from disillusion to delight. How do we move from disillusion to delight? What is that journey like? And I submit to you this morning that if you're going to live life the way God intended, and when I say God intended, I mean life that is rich and full. Jesus said in John 10 that he brings life, an abundant life. The word abundant there in Greek means literally rich and, and full. Full of purpose, full of meaning. And yes, full of joy. Now be careful with that word joy because we like to mingle that with happiness. Now, God said if we, if we submit to him and honor him, we will have joy. But God never promised you and I anything like happiness. As a matter of fact, as we saw last week or two weeks ago, more people get in trouble because they're on a quest for happiness when they should be on a quest for truth. Because true joy, that, that sense of purpose, fulfillment, peace, satisfaction, only comes when we live lives truthfully under God's word. We only expect reality. As I said before, I'm not a pessimist, nor am, I, nor am I an optimist. I seek in my life to be a realist. And even then, sometimes I'm disillusioned. So we're going to seek to go on a journey. We're going to move from delight or delusion, rather, to delight. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bible there, turn to Luke chapter 24. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Now, in Sunday school this morning, we had a great lesson Speaking of Jesus' resurrection. Man, if you're not going to Sunday school here at West Concord, you are missing out. We have wonderful curriculum, Bible-centered, and our teachers do a great job. And we talked about the resurrection. And one of the things we mentioned this morning 
was when Jesus, his body was buried, the tomb was sealed, the guard was posted, the ladies who were part of his discipleship group came because the, Paso, the, uh, the Sabbath was over. They came to finish preparing the body. They came expecting death. But their expectations were misplaced. Why? Because Jesus was alive. He was alive, but they came expecting death. They were probably grieving, struggling, sorrowing, just like the individuals we're going to look at this morning. And again, when we pick it up in Luke chapter 24, Christ has been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And the angel then told those ladies, go and tell his disciples. They should have already known, but they were also expecting death and messed up. And then Jesus met them on the path in his resurrected state, and he told them to go and tell his disciples. You came looking for death, you found life. Go tell and get those expectations straightened out. Because his disciples were disillusioned. And we see a a kind of a magnification of this in this passage. Picking up Luke chapter 24 and verse 13 says, Now behold, two of them, who are they? His disciples. He had 11 disciples. Judas had denied him and, and hung himself. But there are about 120 others that followed Jesus in the periphery at that time. It says, now behold, two of them, and we don't know who these guys were. It says, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Emmaus wasn't very far from Jerusalem. Probably they were going home. It says, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, not very far. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Don't know, don't understand. Many theologians have debated about that, discussed that. We're not going to solve that issue this morning. Talked to my Sunday school class this morning, but we need to be careful to speculate on details that God hasn't given us. It says in verse 17, and he said to them, this is Jesus now, these two disciples We're walking from Jerusalem. The event is over. Jesus has died, buried, rose again from the dead. And evidently these guys didn't get the word that Jesus had risen, nor did they expect him to. See, that's the problem with his disciples as they followed him. His 11 disciples, they were still hiding out because they were afraid they were going to be next. And then, and then the ladies came to, to, to minister to him and you know, do the last thing they could for him and prepare his body and finish getting it ready to be buried completely. They all expected Jesus to be dead. They all expected Jesus' ministry life to be finished, including these two guys on the road to Emmaus. So for whatever reason, when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, came into their presence, they they didn't recognize him. Whether, Whether God veiled their vision or their own cynicism and grief veiled their vision, we don't know. It says in verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? These guys were were sad. Their heads were down. They were downtrodden. They were bummed, we would say today. They were upset. They were just walking, hang dogs, saying, I can't believe it. You know, we thought he was going to do, I can't. You know, and they were just, oh, man, you know how people are. Go out in the church parking lot. There'll be people out there talking, I didn't like it today. I, you know, I, I didn't like the music. Oh, I didn't like the preaching. 
I can't believe somebody was sitting in my seat. You know, all that stuff. It says, Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which had, which has happened here in these days? Where have you been, buddy? Man, the whole city was on fire about this Jesus guy. We followed him for a long time. What do you mean? What are we talking about? Where have you been? He goes on to say this. And he said to them, what things? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. You haven't heard about that? Now verse 21 is the key to their attitude. Notice what the very first phrase says. But we were hoping. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, what do they mean by redeem Israel? They're not talking about the redemption and salvation that God had promised Abraham back in Genesis 12. How God would send his seed, the Messiah, to come and redeem the world, that, that, this, that this Messiah, this anointed one, would be the blessing for the entire world. That's, that's not where their mind was. You see, they were expecting Jesus to be the Messiah, but they expected him to redeem Israel from the boot of Rome. They expected Jesus to chase the Romans out. Some believe that's why Judas betrayed Jesus, because Judas, he was a thief and he was a mess, and he believed that Jesus was going to be, you know, he was hoping that Jesus was going to be this great deliverer, this great redeemer, that he was going to come king of the Jews and chase the Romans out, and he didn't do it. He was crucified. Judas said, Pah. and he betrayed him. These guys, you know, Jesus didn't, he didn't live up to our expectations. They went on to say, indeed, beside this, all, beside all this today is the third day since these things happened, a Sunday afternoon. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, we talked about them this morning, astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. These two guys, as they were walking and Jesus encounters them, they are the textbook image of disillusion. They were disillusioned with the world, obviously, because they became followers of Christ. They became disciples of Christ. There was something in the world that did not meet their approval, did not meet their standard. And so they attached them to Jesus because they thought Jesus was going to come and deliver them from those pesky Romans. And I want to tell you this, 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 this journey of delight and finding joy starts with disillusioned. And I submit to you again, you will not find the joy and splendor of life that God has promised until you and I come to the place where we are disillusioned. Because that's where it starts. That's where salvation starts. We need to be like these guys who all their hopes and all their dreams, they were dashed, let's be honest. 
Everything that they expected did not come to pass. Everything that they hoped for failed. They were even, yes, they were disillusioned with the world because they were followers of Jesus. And so we need to be like them. You know what? And if we're going to live in this world, we need to become disillusioned with what we think the world is going to prom promise and give us. Many people walk around hoping to become big in the world, to get the gusto in the world, to be somebody. And the world is going to welcome you. And the world is your oyster, we're told. Because we think the world actually revolves around us at some point. And here's the thing you need to become and I need to become disillusioned with this world completely. For all of its glitz, glamour, and glory... It cannot offer anything that's lasting and true. We saw that last week. Solomon made the big experiment, the big research uh, paper he wrote called the, the book of Ecclesiastes. He tried all of it. He did all of it. And he, you know what? He came up empty. Starts with being disillusioned with the world. These guys were disillusioned with the world. They were hoping Christ was going to answer their issues. He didn't. Not the way they expected not only that, but we've got to be disillusioned with religion. Religion is man's attempt, humanity's attempt, to curry and earn favor by, of God by doing stuff. We've heard it before. The word religion means religio, to bind ourselves to God. Let me say again and be very clear. Religion has never saved anyone. Religion holds no promise. It's simply humanity trying to honor and, 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 and prove to God that there's somebody. And I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, you need to become disillusioned with the church. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And here's the last one. We must become disillusioned with our Jesus. I would shock you if I told you that in order for you to find joy and peace and happiness, true happiness in life, that you had to become disillusioned with Jesus. Pastor Farley, that's blasphemous. No, let me clarify. You have to become disillusioned with how you think Jesus should be, what you think Jesus is, and who you think he is. You see, we expect when we receive Christ that Jesus is going to heal all our problems, fix all our finances... Calm our family problems and make our life good. And when that doesn't happen, we get disillusioned. And rightly so. Because Jesus Christ did not come to fix your family. Jesus Christ, in the words of Dr. Bill Poor, Jesus Christ did not come to fill your bank account. Jesus Christ did not come to live up to your expectations and mine. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the expectation we should have of him. Jesus Christ came to reestablish the relationship of humanity with God and to provide a way for fellowship with God. That's what we should expect of him. Jesus Christ didn't come to heal you of your sickness. Jesus Christ didn't come to fix your marriage. Jesus Christ didn't come and you fill in the blank. Disillusionment is the place we need to start because of all the false theories and expectations we have of the world and of religion and of Jesus Christ, the way we have made him. Jesus Christ is not what we expect him to be, and he shouldn't be. 
But if you're going to find true delight in life, you've got to start at that place. These guys, they were where they need to be. Discouraged, disgruntled, disillusioned. Like them, we must become disillusioned with the world, we must become disillusioned with religion, and we must become disillusioned with our version of Jesus Christ. As we continue, so they continue talking about Christ. And uh, the problem is they still didn't see him. They didn't understand. They didn't. Ex- you know why? One of the reasons I believe they didn't, you can take it or leave it, they weren't expecting to see him. Jesus is dead. This guy we followed. This guy we thought we're going to chase the Romans out. They crucified him. He lied to us. He's dead. And when Jesus came walking among them, maybe God veiled their vision, but maybe they just weren't expecting to see him alive again. Again, bad expectations. Verse 25. Then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. You know, I appreciate that Jesus didn't mince words. You know, he never messed around. He told things the way they were. Oh, foolish ones. The word foolish means literally empty-headed. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. In all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, they had had the word of God. They had had the prophecies in the Old Testament. 300 plus messianic prophecies of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can go through the Old Testament and you can literally build his life on the major points from the prophecies of the Old Testament and it matches perfectly with what you read in the Gospels. And they still didn't get it. He told his disciples that he would be taken and crucified. He told them that he would be buried. He told them that he would rise again from the dead. But again, his disciples were hiding out. The ladies expected death. And these guys, they weren't expecting him alive. So as we continue on our path from disillusion to delight, the journey continues with discovery. In other words, everything that you know, everything that you have believed, everything that you have concocted, all the vain philosophies, all the hopes and dreams, you and I need to come to the place where we set those aside, cast them away. Paul says, talks about the philosophy and the trappings of the old nature, the old man, the old person. He said, throw it off like filthy clothing. We need to do some discovering. So as we pick it up, we're going to see a couple of things as we read on. Oh, you are foolish, foolish ones. Oh, slow of heart. Verse 26. Ought not the Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And notice this. And beginning at Moses. In other words, the book of Genesis, the first five books, Moses was the human author. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to, expounded to them all In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that Bible study? He started in the book of Genesis, probably in Genesis chapter 3, 18, where after the serpent had beguiled Eve and after Adam and Eve had fallen in sin and God began to judge the parties involved, he said, one day a seed will come from the woman and the serpent will bruise his heel, but but the seed will crush his head. That's the first gospel presentation in Scripture. That Jesus Christ would rise up. The seed of the woman, Jesus was virgin born. We all know biology. The seed generally comes from the man, but that was a prophecy back 
in the book of Genesis concerning the virgin birth of this Messiah who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus went through passage after passage in Genesis, in, 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 in all of the Torah. He then went through the prophets and began to demonstrate and exposit those, we call them messianic promises and scriptures. They should, these were most likely Jewish guys and they should have known these things already. But he sat down and he took them on a voyage and a journey of discovery. So basically, what did he do? Jesus opened their hearts with scriptural revelation. And you and I, we need to get to the place where, yes, we're delusioned with everything we thought we knew was right and we need to get on a journey of discovery. And where's the first place we should go? The Word of God. The Word of God is the truth. No, what do we do? We turn to our buddy. We turn to our girlfriend. We turn to our favorite celebrity, our favorite author, our favorite musician, and we get our philosophy from Hollywood or from the Internet or from TikTok or something like that. We need to jettison everything we think we know, everything we hope to have, and then focus on going on a journey of discovery to find the truth in Scripture. That's what Jesus did. So he took them on a journey in the scripture. He opened their hearts with revelation of who he was and what they should have expected to begin with. In verse 28, it says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone on further, but they constrained him. Man, they were having a great time. This was great. They were having a good time of fellowship, Bible study. This guy, this man that was talking, to he, he was like authority. He knew what he was talking about. And they said, No, don't go yet. Abide with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And they went to stay, and he went to stay with them. So he said, okay, I'll stick around. So he went with them. Evidently, they reached their home, or at least they stayed somewhere. Look at verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. So there they are at the dinner table with Jesus. And you know, this has echoes of that Passover meal. That last Passover meal, he's, he celebrated with just his 12 disciples. But there were probably other Passover meals that he celebrated with the larger group of disciples. They were present when he, when he fed the 5,000 and broke the bread and blessed it. And all of a sudden, either this was so familiar or God chose to lift the veil. And God probably used the, the, the revealed word to, to lift the veil. Because look at verse 31 said, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight. Every expectation. Oh, we wanted him to free us from the Romans. We wanted him to be the great king. We wanted him to rule. They were, they were wrong. It was misplaced. But they filled through Christ. They filled their hearts and minds with truth, not opinion, not, not, not hope generated by some pastor, teacher, or whatever. They filled their hearts with the truth, and then they were able to recognize the reality of Christ among them. Can you imagine? Their whole world had fallen apart. Every hope, every dream was centered on this Messiah they thought was going to free them from the Romans. And when he hung on that cross and breathed his last breath, everything they had put together crumbled. 
their life was over. Chances are they left their jobs to follow Jesus. We don't know these fellows, who they were, what they were about. They left their families to follow Jesus. And now it was all gone. But all of a sudden, because truth had been revealed, reality was now unveiled. And they saw him. And he was alive. I wonder this morning, church, have we really seen Jesus you and I come in here with what we hope Jesus will be, what he hope, we hope he will do, what we expect him to be. Have you seen Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about physically, but have you, have you seen the reality of who he is and what he came to do? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I've come to give life, John 10. I've come to give it more abundantly. What did he meant by that? More fulfilled, more, more, more full, more satisfying. It has nothing to do with our material goods. It has nothing to do with our family. It has to do with our walk with Christ. Have we seen the real Jesus? Do we worship the true Jesus here at West Concord? Not a denominational Jesus. Not a study Bible Jesus. Not the therapist Jesus, the bellboy Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture and of truth. See, Jesus not only opened their hearts with revelation, he opened their eyes with his self-revelation. But the only way they could see him as he really is was to dig through the Scriptures and find the truth. Look to the truth. What did he say in John 8, 38? You will know the truth, 8, 32, and the truth will set you free. So they, they started this journey. It began with disillusionment because I tell you this, you will not see truth and reality until you become disillusioned with everything you thought was to be a certain way. You need to be disillusioned with the world. It's not going to meet your needs fully. You need to be disillusioned with religion. I tell people all the time, I'm a big C Christian. I'm just a little B Baptist. Pastor Mike, that's wrong. We're a I love the Southern Baptist Convention. Don't get me wrong. I'm very happy to be a part of it, willing to participate in it, and thrilled about our ministry and missions and all that stuff. I think it's a great thing. But at the end of the day, I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we must become disillusioned with our Jesus and then go on a journey of discovery through the Word of God so that we might see the real Jesus. So they saw him. Man, can you imagine? Look what they said. Then he disappeared in the verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scripture to us? The Word of God, the truth, brings exhilaration. It brings excitement. We begin to see the world as it really is. We begin to see Jesus as he really is. We begin to get the truth of God, not the garbage that floats around over the airwaves and on the internet today. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened scripture to us? So they found, listen, it ended with delight. They were excited. But it started with the broken hearts. The broken hearts. And then at burning hearts, we're excited now. Do you know why Christianity, I bet for many of you, Christianity, oh, Christianity is dull. Look at the empty chairs in this room this morning. 
I hear people all the time say, well, religion's dull. You know, church is dull. There's no life in X church. There's no, there's no energy in this church. I'll tell you what, the problem generally is there's no life or energy in your life, most likely, in your walk with Christ. Because I've been around the sun a few times. I've been in great big churches. I've been in huge churches. And I've been in tiny little gatherings. I'll never forget, there was a church in the mountains. Building wasn't even as big as this sanctuary. Clapboard, wood, pews. They sang old songs, worn out old Bibles. Nobody was dressed up. As a matter of fact, it was held at one of the places where they dealt with drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And while I love this West Concord Church family more than I can ever tell you, and I enjoy being here on Sunday morning, I'll never forget that worship service that day. They didn't have a sound system. There was nothing fancy. But these guys were literally dying to find the truth of Christ. And it was revealed to them. And I'll tell you, at that moment, that was one of the most exciting worship services I'd ever been to. If Christianity is dull and boring to you, it's you. It's not Christ. I love you, but that's the truth. I usually find things are dull and boring when I'm watching them happen. If I go to a celebration and I can't get in and celebrate, yeah, why do I want to sit there and watch it? I want to get involved. It's more exciting when you're involved. I like to watch a football game. It'd be more exciting if I were involved. It'd be um, terminal if I were involved. I understand that. <laughs> but that's exciting. I love it. We got, we won. Did you? Right, coach? Yes. Their hearts were broken. That's what's got to start, man. Your heart has to be broken, but then their hearts were burning. And then notice how, how they reacted. Here's how you know they got it. They found it. They understand it. It says, so they rose up, verse 33. That very hour. They didn't wait. Oh, we got oh, next week, man. At no, they rose up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They went back. And notice that they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. And they told of the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They had a Holy Ghost revival fit. Why doesn't that happen today? Why doesn't that happen in your life and in my life more often? I'll tell you why. Because we're waiting for the world to make us happy. Waiting for the next job, the waiting for that relationship, we're waiting for that new thing, that new whatever. You've got to become disillusioned. If you're looking to the world to fulfill your needs and make you happy, you're bankrupt already. Secondly, they're looking for religion. Now, I'll tell you that goes on in our older churches. And yes, sometimes even in this one. Because we've turned the church into a club. And we've set the church up. This is my church. This is how we've always done it. And we did it X, Y, and Z. And when somebody comes and bucks that, people get mad. Because we're expecting something that should not be. This is not a club. The church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ on earth. 
Our ministry is to seek and to save that which is lost. Why? Because we are the body of Christ and that was his ministry. Our ministry is to draw people to him so they might live an abundant, satisfied, fulfilled life in Christ. All the other stuff is periphery. Not all of it's bad, don't get me wrong. But when we start fighting over carpet color and music and chairs and, and this thing and that thing, we are dead wrong. And we need to become disillusioned with what we've made the church out to be. Religious. And we need to become disillusioned with our view of Jesus and our view of what we think God ought to be. There's a whole generation that has come up and pastors that have come up and they've, they've rejected the Old Testament. One very well-known pastor said a few years ago, we must unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Well, I'm here to tell you the Old Testament is the Word of God from Genesis to Malachi. And it, it may have God acting in there in ways that you don't like, but you're not God and neither am I. We need to unhitch ourselves from our own preconceptions and plug ourselves into the truth of God's Word. These guys, man, they, they had a time. They found their delight. And it was disciples like them who then turned around and changed this world. And the book of Acts said this handful of people turned the world upside down. The journey ends with broken hearts because everything you thought was good is not but with burning hearts because you find the truth and you can't keep it in. Jeremiah said he wanted to quit preaching, but the word of God burned in his bones so much he could not, not say anything. And notice they were burdened. They had to go back to the disciples and share what they saw and they knew. Let me tell you something. When you and I find the truth, when you and I find the delight and satisfaction, you don't have to have a preacher stand in front of you and tell you to go out and share the gospel. You're going to do it. How can you keep it to yourself if Jesus is risen? You're going to be like those ladies we learned about in Sunday school, man. We're going to go tell. And you'll hear, you'll see in that passage, they ran. And we're going to go out and share. We're going to go out and tell because bless God, we found the truth. So Oswald Chambers gives us a little bit more truth from reality. He basically goes on to say disillusionment means having no more misconceptions false impressions, and false judgments in life. It means being free from these deceptions. When you and I get disillusions, it means we're seeing things as they really are, and generally we don't like them. The world bothers me all the time too, y'all. But it is what it is. You go talk to some of these people wearing red shirts in the auditorium, hell fighters. They see the world that you don't, and I don't see and how it really is for people. There's a world desperately broken and in need of a Savior. But I'll tell you this, there are people inside the church that are desperately broken and need to walk with the Savior. Disillusionment simply means having no more false misconceptions. It means you see reality. And I hate to tell you that sometimes reality under the sun can be very ugly and disturbing. But reality when it comes to the person and work of God in Christ is more beautiful and amazing than we can imagine on our own pitiful little situation. So as we close, I remind you once again this morning of the truth that Jesus spoke in John chapter 8. 
You need to memorize this verse. Tattoo it on your forehead. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we come before the Lord this morning. We need to become disillusioned with all the things that we think and understand of the world and life and religion and Jesus. We need to become disillusioned with religion, expecting it to be able to save us, keeping laws, keeping statutes. We need to come to the reality and the realization that we are so sinful and broken that we can do nothing of ourselves to be saved. That's the test of grace, by the way. We talked about it Wednesday night. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Ask yourself this question. Did Jesus, in fact, die for all of your sin? If he died for all of your sin, is there anything left for you to do in order to make that payment with him? No. If you have to do anything else in order to be saved or stop doing something in order to be saved, you don't understand grace. The grace of God is extended to sinners who have no hope other than Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ and him alone as your savior, I beg you to do that right now. Just go to him in your heart, your mind. You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to get, promise to live, give. You just go to him and confess your sinfulness. Own your sinfulness. We all are sinful. Realizing that even your best efforts could never wipe away or wash away that sin. That's what the blood of Jesus did. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every one of your sins, past, present, and future. He was buried, and as we've seen twice already this morning, he's risen from the dead. And he's alive, and he's in our midst this morning because we've gathered in his name. And he offers salvation to all who would call upon him and trust upon him by faith. Would you trust him this morning? But if you're here and you know Christ as Savior, West Concord Baptist Church, you and I need to become disillusioned with this world. It will not satisfy us. It will not help us. It's broken and fallen just like we are. And all of its charms, all of its glitter, all of its wealth will one day be burned up. We need to become disillusioned with religion, specifically the club that we've created. West Concord Baptist Church is a wonderful gathering of God's people, but it is not, it is not the end all and be all. We need to gather here to honor God, not just to keep the club and pay the dues. You expect too much from what you think church ought to be. No wonder people get mad and leave. And I will say about some people that got mad and left West Concord, and sometimes they're going to get mad and leave the church there because they haven't come to grips with what the church really is supposed to be. What is it? It is the body of Christ. What is the mission of the church? To go out and preach the gospel and to draw people into a fellowship and a walk with Christ. That's it. Everything else is peripheral. So this morning, West Concord, as we finish out, have you been discouraged, disillusioned? Good. That's a good thing. It hurts. It's painful. But you pray for me as I pray for you that we would now turn our hearts to seeking the reality and truth of God's word, seeing the world as it really is, seeing the church and our walk with Christ as it really should be, and seeing Christ as he is portrayed in Scripture and not in paintings or media. 
And like those ladies that came to the tomb, like these men rode on the road to Emmaus, when you find the genuine Christ, go tell. Let him burn in your heart. I hope, I pray to God that we don't have comfort, myself and you, that we are not comfortable in this world until we go and find people to tell about Christ. Standing as we pray together. Heavenly Father, as I stand before these boxes that have been lovingly prepared, those who prepared them, those who are sending them, expecting nothing in return, because they're gifts, Father, that's what salvation is. It is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to help pay for it. It's been bought, paid for, and given. And Father, we cannot walk away from that gift. Help us to be grateful for that gift that's been given to us. Help us to be so grateful that we take that message out because, Lord, we have seen you. We know you. And Father, I pray in my life and in the lives of these gathered that, Father, over the next few days that you would shatter, shatter every dream centered in this world, every hope centered in this life. I pray that you would shatter all of those things and that you would fill our hearts and minds, our hopes and dreams with your Son, with your Word, and with you. So that as we approach Thursday, we truly would have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. No matter what happens to our turkeys, no matter what happens to the day, we are grateful to have a turkey to burn. Thank you, Lord. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.